Sports Beat Live off-season edition. We don't have a sponsor attached to us, but we do have Vahe Gregorian coming on here. Vahe, good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning, guys. Uh, hope you're uh, able to get out of your driveways and stuff um, like I got to do today. Yeah, speaking of which, we're going to have to get you out of here shortly here, uh, but we'll take care of that uh, in a few minutes here. Sam McDowell also joins us. Sam, how are you? Guys, ready to roll. Ready to roll indeed. Hey, we're three, four days after the Chiefs disappointing 27 to 24 overtime loss to the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC championship game. Of course, we've had uh, an opportunity here to digest what happened. Vahe, let's start with you. What what stands out to you about that game and what, what was your biggest takeaway from that loss? Well, I'd say digesting what happened still makes my stomach a little disagreeable. Um, it was <laughs> a lot of the same things in the moment are still the things that stand out. Um, maybe maybe even magnified now. I, I think we'll always remember the two end of half possessions. Um, and I think that uh, the the inability to put them away is the thing that's kind of uh, lingering with me now, too. Um so that that that's it. I mean, and I, I think we all know Patrick's a prodigy, but uh, and that it's you know this game wasn't purely on him in, in any way, but he is the guy who can influence the game the most. And there's an element of his game that uh, that needed to be better on Sunday, and and that that's I think going to be as important for his off season as as any of the physical work he does. You know, we know he's relentless. We know he'll be working really hard. But there's got to be, I think, a little rewiring of how he looks at um, at at risk. He's not reckless, but he 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 wasn't cautious enough. Sam, what about you? Yeah, I think Vahe summed it up well. I mean, you don't place the, the game on one person, especially the person that got you this far to begin with. Um, but but you know, Brett Veach said. I think his quote was, we, we picked a bad day to have a bad day. Um, Patrick Mahomes picked a bad day to have a bad day, uh, a bad day to have a bad half. Um, you know, I, I, I think it was it's still just so startling how different the first and second halves were. And I think the second half is a reminder that for all the progression that Patrick Mahomes had made and the area of patience, uh, just taking what the defense is giving you, um, it's, it was a reminder that that's always going to be part of the equation with him because that's not the way he was taught to play the position. And it's the way he was taught to play it this year. And, you know, at, by the end of the year, he was excelling at it. I mean, the Buffalo game, you look back and he did not throw a pass that traveled 20 yards and he was fine with it. And I, I think when, when things did not go well on back-to-back drives, those back-to-back drives being the end of the first half, the start of the second half, the suddenly you saw him not take what's there and want to find something bigger downfield. And that didn't always mean that he threw a pass, that he, that he threw some careless pass. Um, but it did mean that when you go back and watch the film, there's some openings there that he does not throw. Yeah, and I, when I think of this game, I think it captures what the 2021 season basically was. We had a team that's used to starting fast, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're one in – one and two, and then they're three and four, and then they finally put the, their foot to the pedal and, and got to where they were to, to get to the playoffs. But if you could look back at the 2021 season, Vahe, what stands out 
about how that year went and, and if you had to attach a theme to it, what would it be? Well, I've, I've never been on the Hulk uh, roller coaster ride that McCall Hardman described so vividly. And I wish I could just cue up the clip of him talking about it. He was talking about it in the context of that Bills game. Um, and it, the description was so good about and, and, and I think the thrust of it to me was you think one thing's set and then another thing happens, basically. And it just kept going that way. Um, I think that three and four start in hindsight was pretty shocking. I mean, it was pretty shocking at the time, but I think also all of us understood that the nucleus of this team was still here. There was every reason to think that beneath whatever was going wrong, that they could, they could certainly be a viable contender still. And, and that, that proved true. Um, but they, they couldn't, um, they couldn't stay consistent when they had to. That, that sounds funny. They won 11 of their last 12 before the Bengals game. But um, when they were called on to just stay in the mode that was getting them there, they couldn't do it, right? And, and again, I don't want to lay this all at Patrick, but that is a little emblematic of how, how this went. You know, uh, so, and, and I guess the, the, the signature on it is, you know, really great disappointment. Really great disappointment. We're seeing that. We see Paul's comment on the screen. Sam McDowell examined how this fits in with all the other haunting postseason losses and, and made a, a case for this being the worst for a lot of reasons. And I, I think it, it needs to feel that way. This was a team that was absolutely capable of winning the Super Bowl. I think that we all think probably would have won the Super Bowl if it had gotten there. And, you know, a fatal, fatal two halves against Cincinnati, but really the, the one half is the only one that mattered. So anyway, I, that's more than you wanted it, me to say, Herbie, but that's, uh, that's, that's the mouthful that came to me. No, but you know what? I wanted that thought from you because, you know, you had that view as a columnist. So that, that's actually a good, good insight of what you're thinking. Sam, what are your, when you look back at the 2021 season, you know, we we're, we're close up there in the press box. We've seen it all. We, we covered this team throughout training camp. The optimism coming into this year. What do you? How do you capture the 2021 season? I think you asked us something along these lines after Sunday, and I'm using the same word. It was a turbulent year. I mean, we expected that this would be sort of the smooth sailing that they'd had the past couple of years. I mean, let, let's face it, 2020, they, they basically lost one game before the Super Bowl with their starters. Um, so I expected something similar this year knowing that they would have to deal with the way that Tampa beat them last year, knowing that that was going to be a, a year-long project, but they had the whole offseason to prepare for it. Um, and I was surprised that it got them in the way it did over the middle of the season. But they figured it out. You know, they, they figured out a plan B to the way teams were attacking them. And then I think that's probably what's most disappointing about the way they lost that Bengals game is I realized that the Bengals rushed three and that, that was something a little bit new, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a new wrinkle based on the same sheet of uh, music. So it, it should not have taken them by, by too much surprise the way the Bengals were defending them. And so I think what's particularly disappointing, you know, if you're the Chiefs, is that you played against something similar all year long and you figured out a way to beat it. And for that to be what got you in the end, I, like I said, I think that's the most disappointing part for the Chiefs. I think of this year as, as somewhat of a missed opportunity. When you think of week two, week three, their losses against 
the Ravens and the Chargers, they lose that because of turnovers. You think back to week 17's loss against the Bengals, not only did they lose the game, they lost the inside track to the number one seed in the postseason. So they should have been off, you know, maybe they get a chance to re-energize, et cetera. And then the missed opportunities once again in against the Bengals, the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, which of course they're now going to be watching from home, sort of like us. You know, we we had yes. tickets to go out there, but this was a complete missed opportunity for them. Vahe, how much do you agree with that? Well, it, it, that's 100% the, the case. And, you know, that that second half, let's remember, it, 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 it really tracked in a lot of ways similarly to the previous game against the Bengals, which you would have thought the Chiefs um, – could have prospered by, uh, you know, whatever they got out of it. And I think they did handle Jamar Chase a lot better, but, you know, they had 11 point halftime leads in each game and uh, mangled it in the second half. In this case, it was to, to Sam's point, a little bit of pressing after not getting something going early. You know, I think, I think this is right. I think all four sacks on Patrick were in the fourth quarter. Um, the, his two interceptions were at pivotal times, obviously in the, in the second half. Um, so that that part of their game that they had uh, really cleaned up turnovers was something that really bit him in the end too. I mean, that, that was uh, not characteristic of him at all. Bear in mind, he had thrown one interception in eight previous postseason games at Arrowhead. And then he throws two after halftime in, in this one. And each they were each a little different, uh, one seemed to be some combination of telegraphed or well scouted by Cincinnati. The other was a little bit of wing it. Um, and it, 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 you know, sometimes that's worked for him. That did not look like a particularly well calculated one though. Um, and it, it bit him. I think, the interceptions, you- I, think, I think the first interception is indicative of the, the larger theme of what we're talking about here which is nothing was there on that, that pass that got tipped and intercepted. And he decides to throw that ball anyway. To where even if it's not tipped, there, there's, a, there's a, a defender before Demarcus Robinson anyway. When you look at that play, that's a run-pass option play because you can tell because the linemen move up the field immediately. The handoff is there, and also the blitz comes from his right side, so he's got to throw into the blitz on the right side because Tyreek Hill's open. Instead, he waits, in which case the play is over. He, he's got to throw the ball away. Instead, he doesn't want to take a zero on a play. And I think that was the mindset he got into in the second half. Now, the second interception, I didn't have a problem with. It's third down. It's third and long. And it was actually a really good ball to Tyree Kill. You know, it basically gets him in the hands. Um, but, but you know, the, the Bengals had run effectively a robber defense that, that trailed a receiver there. Um, but anyway, I, I just to, to underscore Bobby's point, I, I thought the first interception is just indicative of what we're trying to explain here. And look, you guys could correct me on this, but I think the uh, other key play, another key play, the the last play of the first half to Tyree Kill is basically a, a mirror uh, in in a mentality to that, where Patrick, I believe, needed to see that that there was nothing there, dump the ball, get salvage the field goal, um, and then try to make something out of nothing that was really nothing. There were no good odds on that pass over there to Tyreek. I understand he could make a lot of things happen, and maybe he could have scored, but that was a complete maybe, not a not a high percentage um, move at all. But hey, it, as you get ready to take off here, I know I want to come to you on this one. 
we're, we're spending time talking about Patrick Mahomes and, and Chief general manager actually used the word, uh, something I'm paraphrasing here, exercising demons, so to speak. And, and you wrote a column on that. What, what, is, what did he mean by that? And what does Patrick need to do during this offseason to work with those, quote, demons? He means the very specific things we're talking about. And, and, and look, th- this, is, this is important to note um, and, and probably can't be underscored enough. I believe that element in him is completely entwined with what makes him great. I mean, it, it's it's almost inseparably entwined, and that's the complication because it's in his DNA to go for it. It's also in his DNA to have great spatial awareness, understand windows, understand angles that that uh, he is one of the few human beings that can actually make happen. So, distinguishing between something and nothing for him is 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 the demon. I mean, I I, I think that's. That's that's the whole that's the whole package that that Brett is referring to. There's other ways to look at it, but that to me is is it. Now, how you do those, you know, mental gymnastics in the off season and bring them to the season is is another matter. I mean, I suppose we can only see that worked out in real time during a season. And then as we do shift into the off season, because this is quite frankly, this is where the Chiefs are now instead of heading out to Los Angeles. Now general manager Brett Veach, coach Andy Reid are going to have to turn attention to the business side of football as well as preparing for the draft and free agency, which starts in one month. And then essentially when we start talking about priorities, the Chiefs have to tackle this offseason to improve that roster. This is what general manager Brett Veach said on Tuesday. We'll always prioritize the offense and defensive lines. I think if you look at, you know, the track record that, that, you know, coach had in Philly, then I have carried over here. There's always going to be, once you get the quarterback, you're going to invest in the O-line, D-line. I think we did that early on with, you know, the Jones and the Clarks and the Reeds and the offense line with the Toonies and the Browns. So um, I don't think it's far-fetched to think that we'll, you know, prioritize, um, you know, the lines like we always do and, and knowing that we have a good offense line in place and, you know, defense line is probably the most, um, makes the most sense and, and, you know, through the defensive backfield and, and, and what have you, but I, I think the, I think the, the defensive side is one that we'll probably focus on right off the bat. Sun right off the bat. Sam, my man, defense. Okay, last year Brett Veach and we saw this after the Super Bowl. You know, he knew before halftime he had to tackle the offensive line, and he did. You know, Joe Tooney, free agent splash. Uh, Orlando Brown just before the trade. Kyle Long, to a certain extent, of course, Kyle Long didn't have that much of an impact this year, but. Trey Smith, and then Creed Humphrey in the draft. Wow. You know, they they really turned things around there. The defensive line, you know, I I think we talked about this a little on Sunday. They've got some decisions to make there, don't they? Yeah, you know, I think it's got to be disappointing as a general manager when you're discussing the defensive line as one of your biggest points of, of upgrade, considering the investment you've already thrown into that group. You know, Chris Jones is making over 20 million. Frank Clark is, is, was, you know, at 25. Um, you traded a six-round pick to acquire a defensive lineman this year. So it's not like they've ignored that position group. I mean, they've thrown more funds at that position group than any other on their roster combined when, when you take the quarterback out of the equation. So, you know, I, I think it's it's indicative that at least one of those moves did not work out as planned. And I, I, I've always been of the mindset that, look, whatever moves you made to the preempts the Super Bowl, it's hard to regret any of those moves. 
But when you look at it now, you know, we're in year three of the Frank Clark deal. The production has not matched the amount of money he's getting. And, you know, you and I talked about this after the game, as you mentioned. You know, they're going to have to decide whether or not they want to keep Frank Clark around because they can save a lot of money by, by getting rid of that contract. Of course, restructuring is always an option as well. But um, I thought that Brett Veach saying they really need to address the offensive line telegraphed their thinking there a little bit. You mean defensive line, right? Defensive line, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point here because Frank Clark is scheduled to count, I believe, $26 million against the cap this year. The Chiefs could save $12.7 million with a release. But they also have other issues here. Melvin Ingram, who turns 33 in April, you know, he came here on a one-year deal following the trade with the Steelers for voidable years. So essentially it is a one-year deal. Jaron Reed came here on a one-year deal. Derek Noddy, uh, you know, we're just highlighting why this is an issue here. Derek Noddy on a one-year, I mean, excuse me, his rookie contract expired. Alex Okafor, one-year deal. So when you think about this defensive line, they only got Chris Jones, Joshua Kando, uh, who, who am I forgetting here? Uh, Mike Dana. I mean, these are the guys that are still coming back on their rookie deals with the exception of Jones. So defensive line is a massive issue. How can they address this? I mean, you've got the, the coming months here. Who would you think, you know, free agency, who, who makes sense to bring back and who makes sense to actually go out there and get? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because Brett Veach's comments were focusing on the depth of the defensive line. And two years ago, that comment makes a lot of sense because of all the – remember all the injuries they had for that Super Bowl team? They had to bring in Terrell Suggs late in the season because mm -hmm. of all the injuries they were facing. This year, they were relatively healthy with that group. So the, it's not like they didn't have depth because they had injuries. And, hey, you know, the starters were good, but they just needed to get better depth. Um, so, you know, part of the reason he's saying that is because of all the guys you mentioned that, you know, are on expiring deals. And so you're just going to have to backfill those. I, I thought that Brett Veach indicated that Melvin Ingram might be retiring, and that's the decision that Melvin Ingram has to make. And they don't have that answer yet because Melvin Ingram hasn't provided that answer yet. But they feel like if Melvin Ingram wants to come play another year of football, He's going to want to come play in Kansas City. And we saw that he was a good fit. So that's part of the equation. What you're going to do with Frank Clark is part of the equation. But, you know, most of the defensive line equation is just about improving the defensive line. The Frank Clark equation is that could affect the rest of your roster because that money you just mentioned, Herbie. I mean, if you can save $12 million and spread that out, out elsewhere, suddenly his answer is about what can you do elsewhere on the roster here. Um, but, you know, how can they address it? Well, we saw they can address it because they did the same with the offensive line last year. You mentioned it. I mean, they, they brought in a big-name free agent with Joe Tooney, paid him the highest money a guard's ever made. They used a trade and, and draft capital to acquire Orlando Brown. And then when we thought, wow, they've done a lot with the offensive line, they used a second-round pick on another offensive lineman and a sixth-round pick on another offensive lineman. So we'll see exactly how big of a priority defensive line is because you've got multiple ways that, that you can approach this. Yeah, and, you know, when we approach free agency, for folks who don't know, it starts March the 16th. That is the start of the league's calendar year. But there might have to be a decision made even before then because the window to apply transition and franchise tags will be open before free agency. There's an interesting name. Well, you got quite a few names because the Chiefs, not outside of defensive line, has some decisions to make here. We, we, we believe, <laughs> Sam and I, you know, we, we think – the guy who makes the most sense is left tackle Orlando Brown. You know, when you put the franchise tag on him, you know, you you will have some money to spend elsewhere. 
Brett Veach had an interesting comment on Tuesday, didn't he, Sam, when he says he is our starting left tackle going forward. But is the franchise tag a, a viable option here if they can't get him signed to an extension? Yeah, absolutely, I think it is. Um, and I actually do think that's how it's going to play out. And the Orlando Brown uh, question is the most important one heading into their offseason from their standpoint. I think they want to fit everything they do around that piece of the puzzle. And so they're, they're going to have to figure out if they can get something long-term done with Orlando Brown. And if not, they know what number he's going to be on because I, I would be shocked if they don't franchise tag him if they can't get a long-term deal. And that number is about $16.5 million. You know, it's, it's of course, the, the equation of the, the, the top five offensive linemen average, and it's going to, it's going to be about $16.5 million. I just don't think you trade all they traded to get him for a one-year deal. And, Herbie, you can disagree with me, but I think you're, you're probably on the same page that we think they're going to tag him, in which case, you know, you, you can't tag other guys, right? You mentioned it. You can only tag one. And so that leaves Tyron Matthew out of that. And I don't think that you know, the, the safety number for a franchise tag is significantly more expensive. So I don't think that one was going to, going to be the case anyway. Um, but I just think it, it makes too much sense to, uh, to not ta- uh, tag Brown given all you acquired, uh, gave up to acquire him. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Wait, sorry. No, that's it. Yeah, you're right, because this will ultimately this factor in their decision what to do with Tyron Matthew because, uh, you know, they hope to get a, a deal done with him before the season started. That didn't happen. And then, you know, Clark Hunt came out and said in November their priorities haven't changed. They still want to get a deal done with him, but they were going to revisit it after the season ended. Well, we're here. Okay. And then Tyron Matthew had, you know, he's, he's fond of putting out these cryptic tweets, <laughs> sort of like that. Uh, I don't know if we want to call it a farewell tweet, but it certainly got Twitter in an uproar on Monday and Brett Veach addressed it. And then, you know, Veach says something along the lines of that's just Tyron being Tyron and he wears his emotions on the sleeve, but how realistic is it that they could bring him back? And how, you know, the thing that stands out to me the most about this is their safety depth, because if they don't bring back Matthew, <laughs> you got some issues back there, don't you, Sam? Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, when you're a good team, you have to pay your good players a lot of money, and eventually you've got to make tough decisions and let good players go. And I think the Chiefs might be facing that situation with Tyron Matthew because of the number that he's going to command. And I, I will just warn that we're going to see a lot more of these Tyron Matthew tweets before March 16th. <laughs> and I don't think that people should read too much into it because the Chiefs have not told Tyron Matthew that he's not coming back. Um, but, you know, I can see where a guy that is given what he's given this team the last three years is a little frustrated that there's not already a deal in place. You know, we, you, you mentioned it. They, they talked in the offseason. They agreed when they didn't get something done in the offseason that we'll revisit it in the following offseason. You know, day one, I'm sure he's like, well, where is it? You know, I, I heard that this was going to be revisited in the offseason. But he brings a value to this team that is is harder to quantify, I think, than a, the average guy. Because with the average NFL player, you look at the production on the field and say, what does this guy give me? With Tyron Matthew, he gives a lot more than that because of his leadership in the locker room. And I know some people scoff at that and roll their eyes at that. But there's a real value there, especially – when the way you structure your roster is to go young in your secondary, you know, that they've sort of had these, these cornerbacks that they don't spend a lot of draft capital on. They don't sign high, high dollar free agents with cornerbacks. So they go young. They've got Legarius Sneed and Rashad Fenton and Charvarius Ward, 
all guys, I guarantee you, that will say Tyron Matthews made a tremendous impact on their career. Same with Juan Thornhill at safety. And so if you're going to go young, you've got to have that veteran leadership back there. And that's the piece that's really, like I said, going to be hard for them to quantify how much is that worth to us. Here's a question I have for you, because we, we know like some of these free agents, obviously we know about Tyron Matthew. We know about Orlando Brown. We think Orlando Brown's going to get franchise tagged. Matthew, it remains to be seen. But when you look at the rest of this roster, Veach was correct. You know, the offensive side looks intact. But as far as defensive players, who, who do you think is a guy that makes sense that you have to bring back? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, Charverius Ward, I think if you don't bring him back, you've got to you've got to get somebody else at that position. Um, you know, Char- I think Charverius Ward's been one of their more underrated players. But I also credit the coaches with the way they've developed him into a guy that really fits their system. You know, the press coverage, he's longer. Um, there's certainly improvements that Charverius can make as far as his, his, his skills at the point of attack when the ball arrives, um, but he's good in coverage. And, you know, that that's the most important part of the cornerback position. And so if you don't get him back, I think you've got to find something else elsewhere. Um, I just I don't know what the market is going to be for Shavarius Ward. I think that that's going to be a tough one for other teams to figure out um, because I think some people look at it and say, well, Bashard Breland was really good in your system, and then he spent 2021 with – with two teams and had a really bad year as soon as he left your system. Are teams worried that Charvarius Ward could have a similar trajectory once he leaves this press coverage system with Steve Spagnuolo? I don't know. Um, but all you need is one team out there that, that's willing to take that chance to set the market. Yeah, and you're absolutely right because the market's going to be a little crazy this year with the with the cap around the league going up. I think it was 180-something in 2021, but it's going to be more than $200 million uh, unofficially, because they're not going to officially set that until right before the, the start of the league calendar year. But that's what it's looking like in some of these projections from some of these reports out there from uh, the NFL guys, as well as uh, spotrack.com and even over the cap. But I agree with you. Ward is a guy that's going to be very interesting if he hits the open market. But for the Chiefs point of view, I think what people have to remember towards the end of the year, Steve Spagnolo trusted Shaverius Ward enough to be the guy who travels with a team's top wide receiver, meaning no matter where that guy lines up, Ward is following him. So Ward is a guy I think that they need to bring back as well. Uh, you know, the safety positions, and we'll dive more into this uh, shortly before the start of free agency, but you've got a lot of people out there, uh, without, with the exception of Juan Thornhill, because you've got Matthew and Daniel Sorensen uh, also getting ready to be unrestricted free agents. On the offensive side, Sam, what, what makes sense? What what makes sense for Brett Veach to really tackle as we enter draft season and free agent season? And I think I know what your answer is. And where does it make sense to get that player? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to look at how teams defended you all year and what the solution to that is. If teams are going to take away the back end and force you to run, as Tyree Hill called it, those 10-yard outs all day, find somebody that can really run the 10-yard out all day. And I think that's a, a second wide receiver because, you know, that's not McCall Hardman's strengths. Um, Tyree Hill can certainly do it. He proved it this year. That's still not what he's best at. So I think you've got to find a, a second wide receiver. Given that, you know, I'm not placing that as a priority above the defensive line or above linebacker. Um, or if you don't get Tyron Matthew above whoever replaces Tyron Matthew, 
But I do think it's something you have to address at some point, even if it's a, a one-year deal, $8 million type deal with the wide receiver. I think you've got to find somebody else out there that, like I said, can solve the way that the, uh, the problems that defenses gave you all year long. I think it's interesting that Veach actually mentioned, you know, he, he, he discussed on Tuesday, he, he, you know, he mentioned Odell Beckham Jr. and the impact that he had when he joined the Rams. So, you know, does yeah. it make sense to go out there and get a veteran? I mean, remember last year the Chiefs courted Juju Smith-Schuster, who, you know, is, is now backtracking a little bit on him wanting to return to Pittsburgh, and he might actually enter free agency. Does it make sense for the Chiefs to go after Juju Smith-Schuster, and what kind of money are they actually going to end up spending on a guy like that? Yeah, you know, I think cost is always <clears throat> the, the, the question that you have before you can make that answer. Um, but I think a guy like that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, a veteran guy that runs more of those possession-type routes, um, the, the way Sammy Watkins turned himself into in this career, in his career here in Kansas City. Um, I've always actually thought Juju Smith-Schuster's um, production was a little um, inflated. And, you know, the past couple of years have, have shown that. he. I know he was hurt a lot this year, but even the year before, he was not great. Um, but, like I said, it depends on cost, and I would think his cost has come down based on those past two years, and then, then a deal makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and as Sam points out, because Veach is always fond of saying this, it has to be a deal that, quote, makes sense, end quote, for both sides. So I don't know how much the Chiefs will be in the market uh, to, to go after a number two wide receiver. But Veach did say on Tuesday, you know, any time they have an opportunity to bring more weapons in for Patrick Mahomes, they're going to explore that. But, I, I you know, I tend to agree with him, and I tend to agree with you. They have to address defense. you got to get more pass rushers. Here's a question I have for you. This is a question that was tossed around in the press box. What position would be of more importance, a shutdown cornerback or a pass rusher? Yeah, I, I think a pass rusher has to top their list for this offseason. I just think that Steve Spagnuolo has shown an ability to develop cornerbacks really well without spending a lot of money or draft capital on that position. Um, I know cornerback is always the position that a lot of people like to highlight and, and underscore and and criticize when things don't go well. The Chiefs were not bad at that position this year. You know, their, their group got by this year. They were better than league average at that spot. They were not an edge rusher. They, they've got to get somebody who, you know, when you've got an edge rusher, it significantly improves the rest of the defensive line too. Um, Chris Jones' production becomes a lot better when he's got somebody next to him that is just working somebody one-on-one all day. Suddenly Chris Jones sees one-on-one, and that improves a lot of things there as well. Yeah, absolutely agreed on that, because when you think of elite cornerbacks, you know, granted, there aren't that many of them out there. You don't have the, a lot of the true shutdown cornerbacks uh, that you would like to have. And, and they're, to me, I think they're more hit or miss. You know, it depends on the scheme, et cetera. But when, when you yeah. look at the game wreckers on defense, they're the guys who affect the pass rusher. Your Aaron Donalds, your Nick Bosa, your Von Miller in his prime, J.J. Watt in his prime, T.J. Watt in, you know, at what he's doing right now. And the Chiefs just don't have that. You know, it's a shame they didn't have Melvin Ingram in his prime because that would have been interesting to watch with Chris Jones in the interior and Melvin Ingram, who's still playing at a high level. All right, Sam, combine coming up. Uh, We've got free agency coming up. And then before you know it, it's the draft. This is the grind, my friend, is it not? I mean, is there really truly such a thing as an offseason? Yeah, I mean, this is um, – it's just funny the way the season turns, right? I mean, we spend 
20, we, we spend a month at training camp, 20 some weeks covering the regular season. And then you, you, you spend the, the, the next three months figuring out how it's all going to come together for the next year. And that's actually one of the enjoyable parts about the beat is it's just the way it changes. You know, it never gets monotonous here because there's always something going on and it's, it's sort of different phases of the season, but yeah, I would certainly encourage anyone out there to keep reading our coverage because we're going to be uh, still having plenty to write about over the next few months. Yeah, especially the days and the weeks leading up to free agency, which, again, which starts here. I'm looking up at my calendar weeks, in a right? little more than a month. <laughs> Sam and I will be at the Combine and looking at the calendar in three weeks. So, yeah, we'll be, we'll be right back in the grind. Sam, what a heck of a season, right? It was a heck of a season. It was a heck of a run disappointing but it was still fun to cover was it not yeah and you, anytime you've got a team that, that's you know one of the contenders to make a super bowl it's always interesting and this year particularly so because of like i that word i mentioned earlier that the, the turbulence that they experienced and watching them try and, and fight their way through it and find a way to still get back um you know to host they hosted an afc championship game this year um so regardless of what they experienced over the regular season they found a way to to beat what was defeating them um, but of, of course, I mean, this, this is a team that wanted to win a Super Bowl, and that, and that didn't happen this year. Yeah, and they'll have an opportunity here in the next couple of months to retool that team because, look, guys, let's just face it. This is the reality of the NFL. You are not going to be able to bring back people, and you will add new, new members to the team. So expect personnel turnover, not just on the roster, but even the coaching staff. You know, there, there's going to be people, Matt House, they already, we know they already lost Matt House. Eric Bieniemy remains in limbo. Uh, so we'll see what happens here in the next couple of months. But for Sam McDowell and Vahe, who had to take off, and for producer Monty Davis in the back, to all our listeners and viewers and readers out there, continue to follow our coverage on KansasCity.com. For Sam McDowell and Herbie, hey, we're out. Enjoy your off season, and we will check in with you as the weeks and months progress.